like to welcome everyone who has come to join us for this Antioch Bible study. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit himself will teach us, equip us, and empower us to live the life of Christ on, on this earth, all to the glory of his most holy name. For it's in Jesus' awesome name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, we, we continue our study in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, and I read from verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil, desire and covetousness which is idolatry because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them but now you yourself are to put off all these anger wrath, malice, blasphemy fill the language out of your mouth do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds but now you yourselves are to put off all this anger wrath malice blasphemy filthy language out of your mouth and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. Now, in our last study, we were looking at the limitations of legalistic religion in transforming the human character but here is an invitation to live down below the dissipations of life and seek the higher things and keep pushing ever higher until we reach that place where Christ is seated in glory in the presence of our most holy God. Now, I like the way H.P. Uh, Liddon put it in Christian World Pulpit. Here is Liden. He said, seek things that be above. This is the business, first of all, of a man's understanding of what it means for a Christian to be reasoned with Christ. Seek those things that be above. Seek the conversations of the wise and instructed. Study, if you will, the masterpieces, the highest masterpieces of 
literature. Make the most of whatever enlarges and ennobles your conceptions of nature and of human life. In all the higher and purer regions of thought, you are nearer Christ, even though his name be not uttered. But as you think, let your cry be ever excelsior, excelsior. What is excelsior? Higher, 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 keep going. Rest not in the highest regions of earthly excellence. Rest not in the highest regions. Do not be satisfied until you have struggled upwards beyond literature, beyond science, beyond nature, into that world which human thought may enter under the guidance of revelation, into that kingdom of heaven, which since the Redeemer died and rose has indeed been opened to all believers. This is actually leading from um, the sermon Bible. This is, this is an invitation, okay? If you be risen with Christ, this is an invitation to see God in all his works and with that cry of excelsior, keep pushing ever higher and higher until faith and revelation bring us into his presence to sit with Christ in heavenly places, there to behold the beauty of his holiness and the awesome wonders of his power and glory. This is the exclusive privilege of those who were raised with Christ from the dead. So let us go back to our text. And what does it mean to be raised with Christ? Because the scriptures begin, if you then be raised with Christ. This is a process whereby people who were dead in sin, when they receive Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they get buried with Christ during their baptism by immersion. And when they rise out of their watery grave, they receive a quickening with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ into a new life. And that new life is ruled and controlled by the passion for holiness before the Lord. Now, this is the way the Bible puts it in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Now, there are things to note here. The first is that when we come to Christ, we died to sin. And sin lost the power to attack us. Secondly, when we come to Christ and undergo baptism, we are baptized into his death. So in this process of baptism by immersion, we go down into the water to symbolize death and burial with Christ. And when we rise from the water, it symbolizes our resurrection into a new life in Christ. 
by the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the Apostle Peter, he warned us that those who undergo water baptism by immersion, they are not having they are not having a holy bath. This is the way he put it in 1 Peter 3, 21 to 22. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 22 says, now Christ has gone to heaven. He's seated in the place of honor next to God. And all the angels and authorities and powers, they accept his authority. So baptism is a process that signifies that we have made a move away from sin in our lives and have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to lead a new life in Christ. It says to us and to the world around us that we have chosen to die to sin with Christ and to rise to a new life in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the next statement the Apostle Paul makes here, if you then be risen with Christ, he says, seek those things that are above. So what exactly does it mean to seek those things that are above? Our Lord Jesus taught us about the awesome power of desire in transforming life and meeting needs and bringing down the presence and power of the Holy Spirit into our lives and into our world. Now, here is the way our Lord Jesus put it in Luke chapter 11, verse 9. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask. And you receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Again, in, in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, our Lord Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Desire is a very powerful force in the soul of man. So when the Bible says to us, seek those things that are above, it means to organize and channel our desires upwards to the higher and yet higher and nobler thoughts until we reach where Christ is seated in glory to behold the beauty of holiness and the awesome power of God's love which works to change lives on the earth. These noble and spiritual desires must consistently impact our will 
so that the choices we make will end up bringing glory and honor to God. Above all, these choices, they must reveal the beauty of his holiness and the awesome power of his love to our fellow men and women on earth. Let us remember that our will is the decision-making center of our lives. Desire is expressed as thoughts and passions through knowledge of God's will and God's ways. Our thoughts and passions are purified and released from all the trappings of sin, self, and worldliness. We move away from worldliness to godliness. The Apostle James said in James 4.4, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world, he makes himself an enemy of God. Now, on this matter of purifying our desires and seeking the things that are above, the Apostle John in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, he said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, the question is, how do we seek those things that are above? Now, the first thing to note is that to seek is to desire, and desire is expressed as thoughts and passions or feelings. Our Lord Jesus taught that desire is the most powerful force in the heart of man when he said, you shall have whatsoever you desire when you pray. Now, St. Augustine of Hippo had this to say, if I am carried upwards, it is, the, it is by the love of the highest good. If I am being carried downwards, it is by corrupt or perverted desire. By desire which has attached itself to false or unworthy objects, but which nevertheless has the control of my movement as a spiritual being, that is the control of my will. And in this sense, the apostle James says, James 1.15, that desire, when it is finished, it brings forth sin. Sin is the act by which perverted desire attains its object or its goal. Sin, when it is completed, it will lead to spiritual death. Seek then, as with your understanding, so with your affections, seek things above. Okay, now we, we, we return from St. Augustine's meditations. The first step in seeking things that are above is to stay away from perverted desires, okay, that drag us down from the heights of holiness and inner purity where we are seated with Christ. Indeed, we know that the will of man is deeply infected by moral disease since the fall of man. The Lord God said of our will and his choices that all the imaginations of the thoughts 
of our hearts as humans. Continually evil. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. Now these perverted thoughts and desires we are purged when we died with Christ and rose to a new life. So the next step, therefore, is to clothe all desire with the highest good as saints of God and saints of Christ. To love is to seek the highest good of those who, are, who we love, whether they be friends or foe. When I sit in my office as a doctor, a lawyer, an administrator, a chief executive, a politician, or an official of government, I must decide to clothe all my desires with the highest good so that it will bless and meet the expectations of those I serve. Now, this is not only for the high and mighty, but also for us who serve at all the levels of society as artisans workers and laborers, no one is exempt from clothing all their desires with the highest good, with love, with honesty, with integrity, with meekness. No one is exempt. So seeking those things which are above is to enter into the divine presence and be filled with his love and compassion for suffering humanity and so be used by him to break all the barriers that separate and divide people so we can bring them into the love of God in Christ Jesus. When I seek things above, like holiness and righteousness from our God, I come to my world to practice the same so that men and women on earth can be drawn to God by his love and by the beauty of his holiness. To clothe all my desires with the highest good is to meditatively manifest the appropriate fruit of the Holy Spirit as required in any circumstance or area of my life. And the purpose of all this, the purpose of the will of every person is to choose to go higher rather than lower until we will, we will the same will our God by allowing his will to subdue our will and dominate it completely. Now, the will of God in any and every situation or circumstance is always clothed with the highest good. So it is important, you know, for you and I to stop. You know, nobody rushes through life and, and attains to the noble objectives of Christ's death and resurrection, which was meant to prepare you and I for a holy life on earth that will mirror the life in heaven. And so as we go into our world and make decisions, we have to be contemplative or meditative. We have to think seriously, this thing I'm doing, am I clothing it with the highest good? Am I, am I, uh, uh, presenting or serving or, 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 or working in such a way as to manifest the love of God to those whom I serve. Now, 
we, we will move on to the goal of this struggle. Seek those things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Seek those things which are above where Christ is seated in glory at the right hand of God. This is a call to each and every one of us to, to, to leave the, 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 the frustrations and evil of the world below and go up to where Christ is seated in glory. This is the whole point that the apostle uh, 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 taught in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 when he said, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He took us up so that we can see, we can receive, we can experience the beauty of his holiness and the wonders of God's love. And then we come back to earth and replicate it as much as we are able in our relationships with others. The beauty of his holiness, the wonders of his great love. Now, one thing we need to make clear is that this is not an invitation to the monastic life where we all disappear into our monasteries and to contemplate and meditate on eternity. So when the Bible says, seek the things that are above, it's not an invitation for withdrawal from life and society, not at all. But rather it's an invitation to go up into the Holy of Holies, go up into the presence where angels sing holy and holy to the Lord God Almighty, to go up. And then when we come down, we totally revolutionize our world with what we have received from his presence. Seeking those things which are above is seeking a heavenly orientation to life on earth. It is about seeing the activities of our daily lives in the context of eternity. So I, I, I look at the work I'm doing as a doctor, as a nurse, as, a, as an engineer, and I go up to heaven. And when I come down, I said, in what way can I do this? To reveal the holiness of God, to reveal the love of God, to reveal integrity, truth, and justice that are the characters of his Christ. We are constantly asking the same question. How does a heaven-bound Christian okay, practice law, practice medicine, practice accountancy, practice engineering on earth? How does a heaven-bound Christian be a husband, be a wife, be a father-in-law, mother-in-law, son-in-law on this earth? How does a heaven-bound Christian be a politician, a senator, a house of rep, a local government chairman, governor, special advisor, president on this earth? This is the challenge of the Christian because we are taught by the word of God to seek the things that are above so that we will be one with God and then come down to show men what it means to be one with God on earth. This is the orientation that compels us to seek answers before we plunge in. 
So nobody just goes into anything anyhow without first carefully weighing it and asking themselves the simple question, how can a Christian be Christian in this situation? Be like Christ in this situation. This is what the whole thing is all about. To produce men and women on earth who are like Jesus. Men and women who will represent Christ no matter where they are, no matter what they are doing. They will make a difference. And because they will bring that heaven's orientation to bear on whatever they are doing. The heavenly orientation was defined for us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself. In John chapter 7, verse 16, Jesus answered, What I teach is not my own teaching, but it comes from God who sent me. Whoever is willing to do what God wants will know whether what I teach comes from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Verse 18, those who speak on their own authority are trying to gain glory for themselves. But he who wants to see the glory, uh, who, the glory for the one who sent him is honest. There is nothing false in him. Our Lord Jesus Christ simply is saying that this is the way to protect ourselves, you know, from the challenge of uh, propagating uh, uh, self-interest through all these uh, 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 programs that we, we, we organize, you know. He said, no, when we speak the word of God, we seek the glory of God in the lives of men. So when, when, you, when you teach a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church, when you treat a, teach a wife to submit to her husband as unto the Lord, you bring them into under the authority of Christ so that when they, when they uh, embrace the truth as it is in the word of God, their lives are transformed. What was a, a, so, so for some a very horrendous experience is, is, is translated to a relationship of love, honor, and respect. And then the glory. It, it, the man who, who, who brought that message is forgotten totally. But the glory of their lives is to God Almighty who supplied the grace and the power to transform their lives. So Jesus said, what I teach, I'm not seeking my own glory. I am seeking the glory of him that sent me. In seeking this heavenly orientation to our lives on earth, the goal is the three-dimensional glory revealed by our Lord Jesus Christ when he was poised to complete his mission here on earth. Said our Lord Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 31, when he, Judas, had left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified and God is, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. That is, a, that is an objective when we seek heavenly 
orientation to life on earth, when we clothe all our desire with all higher uh, 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 principles of godly living that we obtain when we come into his presence, when we do that, glory emerges. That's what Jesus is saying. Okay. So, the first glory in verse 31 is the glory which the obedience and sacrifice of going to the cross brought to our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, the Son of Man is glorified by his obedience and sacrifice. The same thing happens to you and I. When we go up into the presence of God and come down to serve men with love, with integrity, with honesty, with a high sense of responsibility, when we serve as unto the Lord, glory comes on us. You know, the glory comes on us. What type of glory is this? It's the gratitude of many people. Ah, since this man came here, oh, our lives have never been the same again. The way the people that were there before him, oh, if they had done it this way, we would, we would not be where we are today. That is it. You know, so there is recognition that this man is a servant, truly a servant of the Most High God in this position where he's occupied. That's the number one. Now, the next glory is important. This, it, is, it is the obedience and sacrifice that glorifies God. Okay, so now, the man is glorified. God honors the, uh, uh, his labor. People respond positively. Change has come to many lives and they're grateful. But then, when he now releases or, or explains the source of his obedience and, and sacrifice, then people give glory to God. You know, that's, that's the awesome thing that happened in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. That every time he performed a miracle, people give glory to God who has given such power to men. That is the same thing that is coming. People give glory to God. When you and I respond with integrity, with honesty, with love, with humility, people give glory to God. We have never seen it in this fashion that a person, a person that is put in a position of responsibility is so accountable and, and is so responsible and is serving with joy. Now, the third glory, this is an awesome one. The third glory is that when we seek those things that are above, when our lives have been given the heavenly orientation, when our activities and character have been given its heavenly orientation, okay, the glory, God has, will opt to glorify himself through that sacrifice. That's, that's what Jesus said. God has opted to glorify himself through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So we can speak of the glory of his incarnation, you know, that God became a man, okay? So, so God is glorified in that because he condescended. I tell people, if you, if you, if you meditate on the incarnation, you will know the, the, the depths of divine condescension. When I, I meditated on this years ago, the first thing that came to me was that Jesus, being the living word, he did not used to pray, but when he came on earth, he became dependent and began to pray. Can you imagine, you know, from being completely independent, from being served by angels and archangels, he comes here and he begins to pray. And he's dependent on prayer. 
oh try that when you leave an office you as the chief executive and then you come back and the gateman won't let you in that's when you realize the the the, the, the enormous dimension of divine condescension in the incarnation of Jesus Christ and then what about that all the sacrifice on the cross of calvary so because of that the bible says god chooses to glorify himself in christ so if when god chooses to glorify himself in what you and i are doing that's awesome that's unbelievable that's an endorsement of an unbelievable dimension okay so we must know that it was through these three glories that the everlasting glory was made available to the son of god as revealed See, Jesus said in John 17, verse 4, he said, I have brought you glory, you see, on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That is it. You see, when, when we, we are put in a position by God, we go up to heaven. We acquire this heavenly orientation to our responsibility on earth, and we carry it out in the way we have received. Oh, God brings honor to the position we occupy. Then uh, God is glorified in it. And then God chooses to glorify himself in it also by using, using it as inspiration and example to others. So when Jesus said, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you in eternity, it was a prayer that says, my work is done. I am ready to re-enter into the role of deity. So in this same way, when we deploy uh, um, this heavenly orientation to our lives on earth. Glory will come to us. Glory will come to God through us. And thirdly, God will glorify himself because of us. Because of us. Finally, as we try to bring this together, Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above, not on things below, not on earthly things. This is the deliberate choice we all must make in order to unleash that threefold, threefold glory in our world where men are glorifying God because of us. And in doing so, okay, we are not called, remember, to be monastic, to withdraw to hide because the world is too, is too evil. No. We are called to engage, to go up to heaven, to receive the heavenly orientation to what whatever assignment we have been given on earth and come down and practice it according to heaven. That's the point that Jesus made when he said, thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. We are challenged here to always close our desires with the highest good so that we can live sacrificially for the benefit of others. Please, I think it's not right. Amen. It's not right. Amen. 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 Okay, we'll pause and take questions before we pray. Thank you very much, doctor. Thank you so much. Um, I think we have very few questions, but somebody is asking, 
Doctor, please can you explain First Peter three twenty one? Does baptism save us? Secondly, at one time. Secondly, at one time is a believe. At what time is a believer baptized into his death and resurrected with him? Is it salvation or at baptism? Thank well, um, um, this is very interesting um, because some years ago, you know, I wrote. I had. I wrote a book called The Convert and the Counselor. And um, I took it um, to a pastor of the Church of God, not Church of God in Christ, the Mormons, no, this is the Church of Christ. I think this is Church of Christ, yes. And he said, oh, I need to read this. I said, with all pleasure, I left it with him. Then I came back and he said to me, mm, mm, that your book is good. But you did not emphasize that salvation takes place the moment you're coming out of that water. That's when you're born again. You know. So he said to me, until you know, you need to emphasize it that baptism by immersion is the only way to be saved. And so, and so the, the moment you go down into the water, the whole sins be buried with Christ. And then the moment you come out, that salvation takes place. So you see, there are people who interpret it variously. But um, when I was growing up, I attended the catechism classes before I was confirmed in the Anglican Church. And what they told us there was that baptism is the outward sign of an inward grace. Now, that is what First Peter uh, 3.21 is saying, that if you if nothing has transpired in your heart, if you have not made that decision to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, if you have not made that decision to, to, to go up to heaven and receive heavenly orientation to your life, getting into the water and coming out of it, that's what Peter is saying, is just having a holy bath. You know? so, so now take your choice. You know, uh, 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 the, the, the decision to follow Christ, the decision to stop living a life of sin, the decision to, to follow the principles of godliness in the word of God, that's what saves you. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is going to respond to, to quicken your spirit. Because salvation is really when the spirit of God quickens and reconnects with the spirit in man. That's why you may not feel anything, okay? But you are sure of the decision that you made. When I gave my life to Christ, I always tell this story. I wrote my name down on a piece of paper that I've given my life to Christ. And then I went home and I had that dream where the, the voice said to me, read John 6, 20. And I read it and it says, it is I, be not afraid. Then I, I said to myself, hmm, if truly there is God, I've been in church all my life. I was an altar boy, but it wasn't um, a, a something that really revolutionized my life. No, it was religion. But that day I said, ah, if there is God, let us find him for real. Let us find Then I, my search for God began in earnest. So for, for various, for different people, it may be in different ways. 
you know, so, so, some people, they, 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 they knelt down at that altar, they, they got up and they made up their mind from that day. And that is that making up of your mind from that day that I will follow Christ. That is it. So once at any material moment that decision is made, that's when you are saved. Now, it's a very interesting story. A pastor told us that um, he was standing at the altar receiving people who came to give their life to Christ. And then he saw a girl that had come to give her life to Christ before. So she called her aside and said, I thought you've given your life to Christ before. He said, yes, I have. He said, but I did that for my mother because she was troubling me so much. So I had to do it so that she can leave me alone. Okay, there are several people like that. They are doing it for their wives. They are doing it for their husbands. They are doing it for whatever reason, you know, to become acceptable or here or there or whatever. But it wasn't a decision to follow Christ. It was a decision of convenience to sort out whatever uh, uh, pressures that they were going through. But when you now make, so, so she said to the pastor, but this one I have come to make today, I have come to make for myself. So you see, somebody would have said, oh, she was born again two years ago. She said, no, I wasn't born again. I am born again today. Today is when I made my own decision to follow Christ. So, so uh, um, the, the act of baptism itself uh, um, is not what saves us. Peter says baptism saves us, but, but then he says it's the answer of a good conscience. You see, Peter says by which baptism saves us, but which is the answer of a good conscience towards God. In other words, change has taken place in that heart. So, so um, there are loads of arguments on this because some people would ask you, oh, yeah, but the, the thief on the cross went to paradise with our Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't baptized. So, but then there was decision in his heart to follow him. Say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, oh, today you'll be with me in paradise. So, so it is what transpires in the heart of a man that the Holy Spirit responds to. You know, like Bible says in Romans 8, 16, he bears witness to our spirit that we have become children of God. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you so much. Doctor, can you just explain to us again this concept of, of going up to the Holy of Holies when you are talking about seeking heavenly the orientation? Yeah, heavenly orientation. Just give us okay. a short attention. Okay, yes, yes. You see, we, the once you see, this is why we studied the Bible. We have seen in this scripture what we are supposed to do. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. So, like we said, I come, I kneel before the Lord and I say, Lord, you have put me here. I am a nurse, I'm a doctor, I'm a teacher. I want to do it as unto the Lord. I want to do it as if Jesus was doing it through me. That's what I want to happen. So you see, when I pray that prayer, that's when the Holy Spirit then comes in. Because the, that's why that, that, that scripture I, wrote, I read said, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit comes in and walks me through. You know, he will be showing me scriptures that will guide me, you know, and show me how a Christian walks in that situation. And sometimes, of course, he will lead me to people who will give me counsel. You know, people pass, perhaps people who have been through what I'm going through and have come out with a testimony that glorifies God. You know, those are, those are the ways. You see, so there must be the desire to get it right and then help will come. The Holy Spirit will send us help. People can come, 
books can come. Sometimes, sometimes uh, it will be an, a magazine article, a Christian magazine article. And then it gives you the orientation you need. But believe me, help will come once you are determined to live the Christ life in whatever situation that God has called you. Praise the Lord. There was actually a statement there that salvation precedes baptism. Well, um, yes, most churches, because you see, this is an organizational thing. Most churches will, um, will actually do it that way. That, uh, in fact, in our own church, you know, after you are saved, you go through a, a new believers class, and then you go through baptismal class, then you, pass, you do an exam <laughs> before you are baptized. You know, when I joined Foursquare in 1979, our church, we used to be about a thousand members, a thousand people every Sunday worshiping. But membership, you know, was uh, 200 or 300. I used to tell them in those days that it's easier to get to heaven than to become a member of the church. <laughs> but you see, but you see, the whole idea is that um, the, the people of those um, uh, lectures is that people need to understand what they're doing. So don't just do it, you know. So they try to teach so that the people doing it will know that this is a very important decision in our life to follow Christ. And that from this, henceforth, we don't own ourselves anymore. We belong to him and we have to glorify him on the earth. It is that orientation they give in the new believers class. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you so much. I think it's time for us to take our offering. Let us pray then before we go to that. Yeah. Sorry, sir. There's one more question. There's one more question. It says, how can a minister of God say he isn't able to attend to his immediate family needs because he's setting his sight on on the above and don't have time for earthly matters. Please, sir, can you speak to that? Oh, no, they, 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 everybody, yes. no matter who you are, no matter your calling, that sometimes you have skewed ideas on a particular matter and humility, you know, uh, makes you seek counsel, you know, because you see the same um, uh, seeking holy, uh, heavenly orientation, the same Bible says, if a man is not able to care for his family he is worse than an infidel so you have to balance you know you have to balance so he needs to uh, um, 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 seek counsel so that he can gain regain or gain balance to his christian life that's everything is always about balance you must get it all together okay so can you speak to when someone comes and says they heard from God. Yes. And um, well, obviously what they heard from God does not align with the word. Okay. Uh, we, we, um, hopefully one of these days we're going to uh, um, study hearing from God. But one thing that we need to know is that the Bible is our reference. So if you say you heard from God, then whatever you heard from God must not contradict the word of God. For example, somebody may have a misunderstanding with another person and said, well, I, the God told me not to forgive him. 
<laughs> so you see, when you come into such a situation, mm. you, you obviously know that God couldn't have told you that. Yeah. You see? So, the, the, so that's why we judge what we hear with the word of God. You know? And so when people say, God told me this or God told me that, then we look at it in the context of what God has said before and see whether it corresponds. Because you see, whatever God is telling you must not contradict what he has said in his word. That's how we protect ourselves from those, uh, uh, um, God told me this and God told me the other, you know. God told me to divorce my wife and marry a younger lady. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I can tell you that it, could, it, it couldn't be God that told you that. It could not be God that told you. Thank you, Doctor. All right. Okay, so, shall, we, shall we pray? <laughs>